Hello and welcome to a new episode of the CTO show with Mehmet. My name is Mehmet and as you know, in each episode, I discuss different topics from emerging technology and under that comes anything like AI, HR tech, ed tech, and sometimes also I talk about startups and the founders behind them. And today it's one of these episodes where we're going to talk about startups, entrepreneurship, and also legal tech, which is a topic first time I discuss on the show. And I'm pleased to have with me Charles Breck, who's joining me live today. Charles, thank you for being on the show. If you can just, you know, introduce yourself and a little bit about your startup. Well, thank you very much, Mehmet, for having me. So I'm Charles, founder of Legislate. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, in my previous role in business development, I dealt with a lot of contracts and I just found the whole process uh, very painful and and inefficient. Uh, and I actually, I studied engineering. So uh, the engineer in me wanted to come up with a, a better way of uh, not just creating contracts, but also making the data in the contracts searchable and usable um, because we were dealing with PDFs, Word documents, and it's a real nightmare to extract even just a start date from the, those documents. Um, and at the time I was, I was based in Oxford uh, where there's a whole bunch of AI companies being spun out of the university and uh, technology that I sort of came across is a technology called Knowledge Graphs, which um, is a branch of AI, which does the opposite of machine learning. Um, it's basically a, a smart database, which allows you to model data as relations, as opposed to within a schemas. Um, and in addition to those relations, you can introduce uh, reasoning, which allows you then to find more patterns or uh, infer new relations in your your data or create new data. Um, and if you think about a contract, a contract is uh, a bunch of relations. Uh, there are concepts. Um, and at the time, it just seemed like a great way to, uh, knowledge graphs seemed like a great way to model contracts and, and therefore have with a superior model, we could automate contracting better. Um, but we could then also make that data searchable and, and allow companies to answer questions about their contracts. Um, so that was three years ago. We're now a, a team of 20 almost, um, and, uh, working with over 200 clients and, um, yeah, here we are today on, on the, um, CTO show. That's great story to hear, Charles. Charles, like, um, what was the main motivation for you? Did you see something you, you faced yourself? Because usually founders, they are eager to find problems, right? So they can get out um, to, to their customers. So what, what was, you know, the main reason for you to start your company? Yeah, so when I was doing business development um, at the startup, I was responsible for finding clients, but then also making sure that we could send a contract to them and act on any amendments or requests or changes. Um, and so the problem was that we were waiting for legal to review documents um, and only the legal team could sort of decide if the document was valid. Um, and then post-signature, the problem was uh, my finance director, my customer success team and the CEO, everyone wanted to know what was in the contract, even though they had copies of the PDF. So I had to each time go in the document, extract the data, email it to them, share it to them. Um, so, so it just seemed very efficient. It seemed like I was wasting a lot of time um, and we were losing, you know, time is the biggest killer of deals. So, uh, we were losing yep. opportunities, but how long contracting would take. Um, and so ultimately it was, it was a real problem that I was experiencing firsthand. Um, and when I did look for solutions, 
a lot of legal tech solutions were sort of aimed at legal teams and lawyers, but I wasn't a lawyer. Um, and, and ultimately there weren't really any platforms out there that were sort of geared towards business users that were involved in the contracting process. So that's why I felt like it was a great opportunity to start legislating. That's great. So I can understand that your target audience are the businesses, not the lawyers, right? Exactly. Okay. That's good to hear. Now, yeah, your company focus on very important aspect, you know, which is the contract, but where do you see, you know, like more use cases for legal tech in general to go to the market and, you know, come out with, with other solutions? Where do you see still some gaps in, in that space? I think, um, as I said, a lot of legal tech is very much focused on legal teams and lawyers. Um, and that's partly because when legal tech have, I mean, a lot of legal techs are bounded by lawyers. So, um, lawyers view the problem from, a, from their own angle and own perspective, uh, which is very different from the perspective that, um, I have because I'm not a lawyer and I experienced uh, the problem from the perspective of someone who was working with lawyers. So, um, I guess that that's sort of a key thing, which means that, um, legal tech solutions developed by lawyers tend to optimize lawyers and therefore require a lawyer in the loop. Um, and there aren't that many lawyers. So, um, I think there's, there's obviously a lot of room for disruption with being able to, uh, you know, scale legal expertise, um, with AI, but I do think though that, um, that, that model will still have its own limits because, um, AI will never be, uh, or at least machine learning based models will never be hundred percent accurate. Um, and therefore they'll, they, you'll need some legal expert to sort of validate, um, anything that's coming out of those models. So, um, I think actually, you know, legal tech is often associated with contracts, contract automation, data in the contracts, uh, et cetera. But I also think there's a lot, lot of opportunity, um, in, you know, even just improving legal processes, uh, for government forms or, um, you know, compliance, um, reg tech. I think if, if you broaden the definition of legal tech, I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity, um, and, and, and it's not necessarily a super sexy, um, domain, but, um, there, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of pain. Um, yeah. Great insight. Now, Charles, this is maybe came a traditional question, but you, you have a piece of machine learning, you have a piece of AI. Uh, actually in any technology, but now we talk about legal tech and like any other vertical, I would say the question that is now becoming very common, oh, these technologies might be able to eliminate some jobs. Right? So do you see really this is happening, especially, you know, we talk about legal tech here and, you know, the impact of these technologies in general, from your point of view. First, like someone who now developed this software, um, I mean, these solutions for, for your clients. Second, from a founder perspective as well, because I'm sure that you as founder, you need some legal help. So how do you see, you know, the impact on the jobs in legal and in general? Yeah, I, I don't think um, many legal jobs will be disrupted, to be honest. I think it might be more um, on the the processing front or the back end front, 
Um, because I do think that, um, I mean, at least ChatGPT and, and OpenAI, they've, they've made certain manual repetitive tasks very easy to automate. Um, for example, uh, if you've got an email, extract uh, the website domain. Um, so, so I think, I mean, this obviously doesn't really apply to legal, but um, it's, it's a manual task which doesn't require much intelligence or thoughts or creativity. And I think um, any, any repetitive task around the processing of the data where you're not required to provide any creative input, um, those jobs are at risk of being automated. But, but the reality is, as legal is, is quite a creative field. Um, the value of a lawyer isn't necessarily generating a document, it's telling you which document to generate. And whilst an AI might be able to um, give you some insights, um, the reality is, is, is people still want that legal advice um, in the same way that, you know, if you went to a dentist, um, and you'd, you'd want to interact with a human, not with an AI. Um, the AI might augment the dentist and, and help find problems that they might not see straight away. It might help them identify the problems faster. But um, I, I think, at least in the legal domain, um, the, the, the legal work, as we know, that lawyers do um, probably won't get disrupted. But if there's any sort of back office um, automation, then, then I think that's where there'll be some disruption. Um, and then from the founder's perspective, I'm definitely looking to make myself more efficient using AI and, and even just, you know, um, you know, trying to look at my workflows and see, well, okay, what could I automate or what could I improve? Um, even just using tools like Zapier or NAN. Um, and, and there is a lot that you can do without AI just to save time. Um, but, but I think again, where I found AI useful is more being able to interpret data, process it get it into the right shape to make decisions. Um, and I, I don't know if we'll necessarily replace any, any roles. I, I don't think we'll, we'll do that, but I'm looking at to make myself more efficient, um, so that I can have more time. Yeah. Great answer also, I would say, and a lot of guests on the show, they mentioned something very similar because people now talking about, um, the concept of augmenting, uh, the augmentation aspect, as you gave the example of the dentist. And this might apply to, to any job, actually, which is uh, true. Now, before I move to your story as a founder and the entrepreneurship, last thing regarding, you know, from technology perspective, especially in the legal field, what are your expectations from the trans uh, perspective? Like, what's next? Like, what, what, should, what could be the next big thing when it comes to, to uh, legal tech? I, I think I've, my view is quite biased, um, but I do think that um, a lot of legal tech has been very much focused on the generation of documents or the uh, being able to output documents quickly um, and therefore automate a process with uh, PDFs. Whereas I think that's great, but you can't actually build anything with PDFs on top of PDFs. Um, and so we're, we're making those PDFs machine readable using knowledge graphs. And I think that sort of opens up a whole a whole new range of opportunities because you can build on top of a knowledge graph. Um, so I think you know there's there's a lot of potential um, to build applications on top of contracts which are um, machine readable, um, whether that's integrating payments, whether that's integrating compliance. Um, and, and I think if we take a step back and look at what fintech is, as uh, why fintech exists, it mainly exists because of open banking and the ability to make bank accounts machine readable. Um, so I think if we can do the same for contracts, it, it's, it's going to sort of 
um, disrupt the industry. And um, I don't know if the industry is ready for it, but um, it's at least the, the direction that we're trying to uh, create. Yeah, that's good. Now, moving forward to, you know, being an entrepreneur and a first time founder, what are some of the challenges and, you know, some what is for sure now for you is lessons you can a little bit share with us. So maybe now you say, okay, I wish I knew this before I started. So if you can tell us a little bit about this, so people who are thinking to start their own businesses can uh, get some insights. Yeah, I think um, well, I'm, I'm a first-time founder. I'm also a solo founder. So I think the first challenge is always, um, and, and I don't think it's much easier when you have a co-founder, but um, getting your first highs is, is always a challenge. Um, and, and I think hiring is always going to be a challenge. And, and the reality is, is, um, hiring is, is one of those topics where you think, you know, it until you actually do it and then it doesn't work out. And the reality is, is it doesn't work out more often than you think. Um, so, so I think hiring has definitely been a challenge for us. Um, and part of it is being able to now, now with this, all this learnings as well, working out, how do we know if the candidate is going to be a good fit from a cultural perspective, from a role perspective, from a competency perspective. Um, I think we're, we're, we're definitely much better at, um, being able to sort of predict, predict that. But the reality is, is even if you're selecting 1% or 0.1% of candidates, um, you're still going to have a failure rate of maybe 20, 20%, um, regardless of, of how, how much you do. And, and, um, I think the. What's important then is to be able to act quickly. Um, and you, you definitely don't want to, 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 to have an environment where you unfortunately don't let go of people, because if you do that, then you're at risk of creating a, a, a culture or an environment, which, uh, is hurting the company. So, um, I guess, yeah, hiring is, is a key issue. Um, you will get it wrong. And, and if you get it wrong, then you need to act quickly. Um, I think that's, that's sort of the key, key takeaway for today. When you mentioned hiring, was that, you know, finding developers or was it for sales or is it all of, of that? I think, um, the, the role you're hiring for will, will always have a, uh, impact, um, or it will always be different because, um, I think developers are looking for something completely different from salespeople. Um, I think the. Sales is, is an area where we, we have always struggled to attract great salespeople. And I think that's something which a lot of companies can relate to. Um, I think, uh, on the tech front, it's, it's sort of cyclical. Um, there've been times where we, we've struggled to get candidates. Um, but, but then there are times where we've got too many. Um, but, but I'd say probably, probably have a, a, had better success hiring developers than hiring any other roles. Um. But I'd say part of that is also that we, um, it's, it's, it's much easier to sort of assess the competency of a developer based on the tech stack and, and what you're looking for. Um, and maybe also like the, the mindsets of developers is also maybe different from, um, a more commercial role. I don't think necessarily developers are trying to sell themselves in an interview. They're very raw or authentic generally. Um, so, so you're less likely to be misled and then, um, you know, after the hire realize that actually this person is not who they said they were. Uh, and I'm not saying that commercial people 
do this deliberately, but, but I do feel like there's, there's maybe more of a tendency to, um, and, and employers do the same. Employers also, you know, pitch themselves during the interview process, but I, I feel like for commercial roles where it's, it's more subjective, there's less subjective data, um, you're more likely to, to end up in a unsatisfactory uh, situation. Yeah. Makes sense. I used to work in tech sales, let's put it in this context and I can relate to what you are saying now, Charles. So yeah. And I was purely tech before and everyone pitch, uh, you know, his or her story. Um, but yeah, like salespeople do that more and this part actually, um, what they should have been doing all the time. Right. So to, to get in front of the right, um, you know, employers that they, they wish to work. Now, I believe you have raised some funds for the company, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, and this is, I'm making it kind of the common question on the pod. Why you raise versus not bootstrapping? I'm a little bit curious to, to know more. Yeah. Well, I mean, although I studied um, engineering, I, I, I'm not a developer. Um, and I think had I been a developer, then, then I would have been tempted to, um, I would say necessarily bootstrap, but at least progress the product, uh, further and, um, and maybe independently, but, um, I think in, in, in our case, well, A, I'm not a developer, B, knowledge graph technology is very niche. Um, I know that there are lots of no code solutions out there, but you can't just plug a no code tool into a knowledge graph and then start building on the knowledge graph. So. So that was like one, one other reason why we needed, um, tech support and, and tech support, unfortunately, well, it's, it's a reality requires some form of uh, funding. So, um, I went down the angel route to start with. And then after we had a product and some initial traction, um, went down the, the venture, venture route. Um, so we, we raised in total 4 million, um, we've just closed a 3 million round and, um, I'd say. I obviously admire founders who managed to bootstrap and I'm very jealous <laughs> of those, those founders. But, um, I think the reality is, is every business is different. Every founder or group of founders is different. Um, and, and we're also, you know, dealt different cards. Um, I, I started the company with three years of professional experience, whereas, um, maybe had I started the company later, um, I would have been able to sell fun. Maybe, I don't know. So. So I think it is just, it's just one of those, those things where, um, funding changes for every single company and startup and, and founder. And, um, once you're dealt with a set of cards, you do, I guess, need to go down a certain route, but, um, yeah, I don't think there's any right or wrong, um, answer or, or solution to, to funding. No, definitely. There is no right or wrong answer to this, um, you know, each a founder that I have interviewed on the uh, podcast, you know, they had their own reasons why they went to this route or that route, which is, as you said, it depends on each uh, kind of business, you know, the, the ambition that they had and, you know, their, their business model. I believe Charles, your model is a SaaS model, right? Yeah. Okay. Now I don't say your first startup, but what made you know, the SaaS model attractive to you? I think, um, software is, is great because, um, you, 
you don't need to physically ship it. Um, it can sort of run independently. And, um, and I guess in our case, uh, contracts are, even though sometimes they are printed contracts are mostly digital. So, um, it, it made sense to be sort of in the, you know, create a software to deal with contracts. Um, but I think when, when I started the company three years ago, it was also the beginning of the pandemic and, um, it really increased the awareness or adoption of online or remote contracting. Um, and so, you know, it just made, made sense to have a, a SaaS platform, um, to sort of deal with that. But, you know, obviously there, there are all sorts of benefits of SaaS, um, whether it's on the support front or it's on the financial front. Um, and yeah, I guess, uh, it's, it's, it's a great model, uh, if it makes sense. Yeah, indeed. It's like, you know, on the long run, it, it's a proven, uh, business model, I would say, because it's like about the recurring revenue. Um, now any business, whether you are new or you've been sometimes in, in the market, everyone worries about competition, right? So for you, how do you look from a founder perspective to the competition? Like how, how do you deal if someone maybe took one of your features and they cloned it or, um, Maybe they cloned the whole system even. Like, what's your point on this? What you can tell other founders about this? Well, fortunately, that hasn't happened to us yet. Um, <laughs> because I, I feel like whilst the legal tech market can be seen as crowded, um, it, I agree it's crowded for legal tech for lawyers and law firms. Whereas in our space, there aren't that many solutions aimed at businesses. Um, and even since starting the company, I haven't recently seen any that have sort of come up that are trying to approach the problem or the framing as, as like we are. So, um, I guess it's not a serious situation that we've encountered. Um, but I think competition is, is great because ultimately it validates that there is a market, that there is demand. Um, and even though we haven't really figured everything out, if there are competitors that are a bit further along the road, then, um, you know, maybe there are lessons that we can learn from them. Um, and, and, and therefore competition is great. Um, but. But I think fortunately we don't sort of encounter our competitors in head-to-head uh, -head deals. Um, I'd say more recently we've, we've sort of been picking up um, dissatisfied clients from some of the more established competitors. But um, but generally I think competition is great. It proves there's a market, um, and and therefore you know if if, if your competitor is spending millions on marketing to create awareness for your problem, um, then that's millions of marketing that you don't need to spend yourself. So um, it, I think it's uh, it's good. Great, great to know. And yeah, I agree with you. If competition is always good and I say competition is always good for both the startup and for the clients, because at the end of the day, the goal of any startup, of course, you want to generate money, you want to be successful, but the product should be helping customers and competition encourage that. I agree with you hundred percent. Now as a founder, Charles. I, I always ask this question because now I'm into a startup mode myself. Like I don't have a SaaS product or anything, um, but maybe try one day. What is the number one, you know, thing that you always keep thinking about it all the time? 
I think um, right now it's always thinking about customers and, and getting more customers, I think, especially because we have evolved the product and, um, you know, as we've grown, focused on a, a broader group of customers or a different group of customers, um, you know, seeing that it will work with this new group of customers is something that um, or I'm always sort of aware of and, and thinking of. Um, and then, you know, the, the more the more customers we have, the more, um, you know, the more investors we can get, et cetera. So, so I think right now it's still down to customers. Um, but, but before that, it was, it was all about investors. Um, but it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem because um, to get investors, you need customers. And, and sometimes to get customers, you need investors. So, um, yeah, I, I guess customers is, is all I think about right now. I like this customer-centric approach. Now, last question before I gonna kind of conclude and close. What is the you know next for your company? What's the next step? Yeah, so um, I think we've we've been very much focused on the UK, um, and there's still a lot more to do in the UK. But um, we've also been making lots of improvements to the products so that we can start to. Um, think beyond the UK. So um, I think uh, the US is, is is a market that's very interesting. Um, so is Australia, so is Europe. So um, I guess as we sort of grow um, and expand, we can start to expand internationally, but that's more, on, I guess, on, on where, we, where we're going physically. Um, and then on the product side, um, we're really trying to build more integrations because um, if you think about a contract, it, it needs to go through many different tools and platforms. Um, and so we're trying to integrate with uh, tools so that our clients can sort of have full visibility of their contract, regardless of whether they're using Legislate or not. To know, a traditional question again on the pod before we close, Charles. Anything that you wished I asked? Um, I guess um, how to find us. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, this is usually how I close, but yeah, feel free. Okay, well, um, you can you can find us by searching legislate and or going to legislate.ai. That's great. Usually, what I do, Charles, is that I will put the URLs in episode description that will go on oh. both YouTube and the podcasting platforms as well. Um, well, like I really enjoyed this chat with you today, Charles. Like. Legal tech is something which I believe also, and you are, I can call you a first mover in this space because it's not crowded as, for example, something like fintech, which is so crowded now. Uh, so congratulations, and, and I wish you all the success on that. And as I said, I will be sharing, you know, the company URL in my YouTube channel description and on the podcasting uh, platforms description as well. Thank you very much, everyone who also tuned in today. As usual, if you have any feedback or questions about this episode or the show in general, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can send me an email. you find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Also, if you are interested, like Charles today, to be a guest, be more than uh, happy to send me an email or again, reach me by the social media. We can discuss this and we can arrange for that. And don't forget to subscribe. Tell your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you very much for tuning today, and we will meet in a next episode. Thank you. Thank you.